2: And welcome to the program. Today is the 28th day of July 2021. We'll be continuing on with Chapter 11 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 6, Patriarchal Keys. And we'll be talking about the patriarchal priesthood and the office of a patriarch and uh, with all the scripture references and uh, quotes from prophets in this last dispensation. Uh, the guest call number is 917-889-8827, and the link, uh, well, I, I posted the uh, the reading on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L A Z U R 1977 That's a public profile. You don't have to be a friend of mine to go find that and look at it and read it. You can also follow some of my pages or groups. Uh, Zion's Redemption Radio Network is one page. Zion's Redemption Bookstore is another page. Uh, LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions is a group that I have, and LDS Gospel Mysteries, and they're all, um, you know, public, so people can go in there and and comment on things and read things and listen to the. Uh, radio uh, program. I am going in Sunnyside, Deb. Hello, Kim. Hello. Okay, can
3: you hear me now? Hello.
2: Yes, I can hear you now.
3: Oh, okay. Sorry, technical difficulties. I was muted on my phone, and I have my headset on, and I was like, "Why isn't it unmuting? It says it's unmuted." (laughs) Oh. And I was like, "Ah!" But then I pulled my phone out, and I was like, "Oh, it's muted on my phone." So okay. Um, Yep, I'm opening up the um, the what is this called
2: on the tablet. Information.
3: No, I have that oh. already next to me.
2: Oh, okay. But um, I,
3: you wanted that open, right, so we could monitor or no?
2: Oh, yeah. Well, I want the studio okay. open, so if we have any guest callers or anybody okay. on the chat room, if you could open up the chat room, that would be great on that tablet or whatever device yeah. you're using. Okay, and yeah, like I said before well, and I've said in the past, uh, people – uh, if you have any questions or comments, uh, call in at the end of the reading, and we will open up the phone lines, and then my wife will do a uh, preview of the next chapter. Uh, we're only doing three programs a week currently. Uh, tomorrow I'm taking tomorrow off, and I just want to So no <laughs> programs tomorrow. Yep, I work Saturday night through Wednesday night, Thursday morning, and I take Thursday and Friday off. So, um
3: No, no. Don't do that. Sorry.
2: Anyway, our kids are all at camp except for our youngest two year old, Arius. So And he's he having is, fun, uh, fun turning him. the lights
3: off and on. And he thinks <laughs> it's funny. And I'm like, No, no, because then I can't read. Arius, don't touch the lights. Come here. Come on, get your blanket, come fill over me. He did really well last night. Um, this morning, or yeah. this, tonight, he's kind of like wandering around a whole bunch, so we'll see what happens.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully he'll find a, a car to play with or something. Anyway, I'll dedicate the program, and then I'll mute okay. myself, so you can start the reading. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask thee, Father, this night for the gift of discernment that and the gift of tongues in that you would put the words in our mouth that need to be said. We love thee, Father, and we thank thee for all of the truth of the restored gospel. Help us to navigate our way through the perversions of the precepts of men as we go over these things in this radio program uh, worldwide broadcast we love thee father and we ask for thy spirit to be with us as we go through these things and dedicate this time unto thee and we ask for thy blessings to be upon us and thank thee for everything that thou has given unto us for all of our experiences even though they may be hard and for everything that thou has done for us we ask also that the listeners and the people who study these words will be enlightened in their minds that they will be able to navigate the truth of the restored gospel and seek thy faith and thy revelation that they may be guided in righteousness. We ask for these things in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, even Jesus the Christ. Amen.
3: Amen. Okay, are we ready? Okay, Arius is ready. All right, let's begin. We are going to be in Ensign to the Nations, Holy Priesthood, Volume 6, page 988, and also reading Chapter 11, Patriarchal Keys, on page 174. Okay, Elias who held the keys of God's church in the days of Abraham and blessed him, has restored the patriarchal powers and graces of the priesthood to link together the families of men in patriarchal order from now to the time of the end. That's Correlated History of the Church, volume 6, page 557. To present the information in this chapter in the most organized way, it has been divided as follows. History of Patriarchal Order of Priesthood, The Calling and Mission of Patriarchs, three types of patriarchs, number one, presiding patriarch, number two, state patriarch, state patriarch, number three, family patriarch, the patriarchal laws, number one, patriarchal order of Enoch, united order, number two, patriarchal law of marriage, plural marriage, beginning with history of patriarchal order of priesthood. The office and calling of a patriarch reaches back to the beginning of time on this earth. The prophet Joseph looked upon those days and said, I saw Adam in the valley of Adam and on Diamond. He called together his children and blessed them with a patriarchal blessing. Journal of Discourse, volume six, page 238, 1839. Now we're on page 175. From that beginning to the time of Christ, the dispensations of Adam, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Moses were called patriarchal dispensations. As John Taylor explained in Journal of Discourse, volume 21, page 244, quote, Noah steps forward in a prominent position, and he had his work to perform, which he did perform and began to raise up another seed, and they lived also in what may be termed a patriarchal dispensation, end quote. Journal of Discourse, volume 21, page 244. And also in Journal of Discourse, volume 21, page 242, quote, We have, for instance, what is called the patriarchal dispensation, which existed before and after the flood. And those patriarchs and men of God that lived in those remote ages had communications with the Almighty. And they also had the gospel, end quote. Journal Discourse, Volume 21, page 242. All of these dispensations had the gospel, a patriarchal order, and held all the authority and keys of the priesthood. And these keys and authority have been continued down to the present. The prophet Joseph explained all the prophets had the Melchizedek priesthood and were ordained by God himself. Teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 181. In other words, those ancient prophets held all of the keys, powers, and privileges of the Melchizedek priesthood and the gospel. Joseph Smith specifically mentioned the prophet Elijah in teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 337, quote, now for Elijah, the spirit, power, and calling of Elijah is that ye have power to hold the key of revelations of the revelations ordinances oracles powers and endowments of the fullest of the melchizedek priesthood and of the kingdom of god on earth and to receive obtain and perform all the ordinances belonging to the kingdom of god even unto the turning of the hearts of the fathers unto the children and the hearts of the children unto the fathers even those who are in heaven malachi says I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. End quote. Teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 337. What what is often called the patriarchal priesthood is, in reality, the patriarchal order of the priesthood or the patriarchal office. It is that order that pertains to kings as given in the second anointing, but it is not another priesthood. In the second anointing ceremony, there is only the ordination of a king, but no wording that confers the patriarchal priesthood. It has been thought by some that a man who is ordained as a patriarch has a higher priesthood authority than anyone else. However, this is not the case as explained in the days of Joseph Smith concerning Joseph's own brother, William. This next quote comes from Editorial TNS, Volume 6, page 922. Quote, a patriarch is what is termed in Scripture an evangelist. Sorry, I'm trying to fix this. An evangelist. And Brother William acts in that capacity, and God placed in the church first apostle Arius, you can't be in front of my face because then I can't read. Okay, stay there. Technical difficulties. (laughs) First apostles, not first evangelists, but the priesthood stands in the same relationship to the church as Moses did to the children of Israel, according to the revelations. Again, who ordained Father Smith to the office of patriarch? His son Joseph. And Father Smith ordained Hiram and the 12 of of whom... Brother William is one ordained him who are appointed to ordain evangelical ministers. See page 104, D&C. Can a stream rise higher than its fountain? No, says Paul. Verily, the less less is blessed of the better. We think that everyone will see that Brother William Smith's patriarchal office will not exalt him higher in regard to the priesthood than he was before, as one of the twelve, but will rather change the nature of his office editorial tns volume 6 page 922 we're on page 177 if you wanted to say anything
2: um i was just going to say on the first page you were reading the uh in and the days of abraham uh people don't understand that there's different offices and names of offices uh, and people are called those names as well. so um, Elias uh, Elijah um, let's see there's Messiah is an office uh, that multiple people can hold Magi is an office. so when he's talking about an elias in the days of Abraham that's uh, somebody who holds an office in the kingdom or the priesthood so. Um, I am currently turning up on the mine road. Okay. So, uh, it'll break up a lot for me for just a minute, but uh, I'll still be on probably listening. Okay.
3: In okay. short, the twelve ordained. Okay. <laughs> In short, the twelve ordained patriarchs. It is not the privilege of patriarchs to ordain the twelve. The term patriarchal priesthood refers to the order and use of a man's priesthood rather than another kind of priesthood. An example is when Peter wrote, but ye are chosen, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar generation or a peculiar people, First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. When a government or nation is under the rule of the priesthood, then they are under the order of a royal priesthood. The patriarchal priesthood refers to the fatherly order of the priesthood. If the Savior came to a man and put his hands upon the man's head, he would not be given him some new priesthood, but rather confirming and sealing upon him the blessings promised in the Melchizedek priesthood. We have already quoted enough to show that all God's prophets have and use the powers, rights, and the keys of the holy Melchizedek priesthood, but some of them have different callings within that priesthood. This subject will be discussed in greater detail in the author's forthcoming book. Now we're going to discuss the kingdom of God. The dispensation of Christ was a little different from the previous patriarchal dispensations because Christ established a church body that was representative of those ancient prophets and patriarchs. For example, he chose 12 apostles to represent the 12 sons of Jacob and also the 12 tribes of Israel who were the elect and seed selected to hold the keys of the priesthood. His 70 apostles represented all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob. See Exodus chapter 1 verse 5. And also the 70 faithful elders under Moses who went upon the mountain and they saw the God of Israel. See Exodus chapter 24 verse 9 and 10. Page 178. Christ also had evangelists in his church who were representatives of the ancient patriarchs. And according to Joseph Smith, in Doctoral History of the Church, Volume 3, page 381, quote, An evangelist is a patriarch, even the oldest man of the blood of Joseph or of the seed of Abraham. Wherever the church of Christ is established on the earth, there should be a patriarch for be- the benefit of the posterity of the saints, as it was with Jacob in giving his patriarchal blessing unto his sons, etc., end quote. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 3, page 381. Now we're going to talk about the calling and mission of patriarchs. As soon as Arius comes back up onto my lap. Come on, lay down. That's okay. Stay right here to mommy. You want a blankie? There you go. Here's your blankie. Okay, lay down. Mommy's reading a story. Patriarchs have a mission of blessing the descendants of Jacob in the House of Israel, and they perform a tremendous work. In Doctrine of Salvation, Joseph Healing Smith, Volume 3, page 169, quote, the fifth patriarch was Hiram Gibbs Smith, grandson of John Smith and the great-grandson of Hiram Smith. He was ordained under the hands of President Joseph F. Smith, May 9, 1912. He died February 4, 1932, in Salt Lake City. During the 19 years of his ministry, he gave... 21,590 blessings, which were recorded, or 931 more than his grandfather gave. End quote. Doctrine of Salvation, Joseph Fielding Smith, Volume 3, page 169. The main purpose or mission of patriarchs is to bless the saints. The patriarchal order is meant to provide understanding and promises of the lineage, rights, powers, and privileges of those who have accepted the gospel. It is in their power to help counsel, encourage, and even for see events as a warning, or to see promised inheritances that can be obtained. All of these are great blessings given through the keys of the patriarch. Father Jacob gave patriarchal blessings to his children and their posterity that would last to the end of time, because he gave those blessings by the spirit of prophecy and revelation. Joseph Smith, Sr. also had the same gift and power, according to Wilfred Woodruff. In Journal of Discourse, Volume 12, page 277, quote, When Father Smith gave me my patriarchal blessing, he told me I should bring my father's house into the church and kingdom of God. I had never seen any member of my father's house from the time I obeyed the gospel until I received my patriarchal blessing. And I rested a good deal on this blessing. Sorry, that was Arius. Uh, And I rested a good deal on this blessing. Now, all men who are acquainted with Father Joseph Smith. Know that when he laid his hands upon a man's head, it seemed as if the heavens and the hearts of men were open to him, and he could see their past, present, and future. And that is the way all men in the Holy Priesthood should feel, and when, whether patriarchs, prophets, apostles, or elders, they should live so as to enjoy the spirit and power of their office and calling. End quote. Journal of Discourse, Volume 12, page 272. The keys of calling of a patriarch are different from all other offices in the church. As outlined in a First Presidency message in May 1943, from Hubert J. Grant, J. Reuben Clark, David O. McKay, Messenger of the First Presidency, Clark, Volume 6, page 194. Quote, the patriarchal office is one, one of blessing, not of administration. Patriarchal blessings are only the only blessings that patriarchs are specifically ordained and sustained to give. Patriarchal blessings com- contemplate, number two, inspired declaration of the lineage of the re- recipient and also where so moved upon by the Spirit and inspired in prophetic statement, number three, statement of the life mission of the recipient. Together with such blessings, number four, blessings, cautions, and admonitions, as the patriarch may be prompted to give for the accomplishment of such life's mission, it always being made clear that the realization of all promised blessings is con- conditioned upon faithfulness to the gospel of our Lord, whose servant the patriarch is. Heber J. Grant, J. Reuben Clark, David O. McKay, Message of the First Presidency, Clark, Volume 6, page 194. And now we're on page 180. In January of 1841, when Hiram Smith was designated as church patriarch after his father, Joseph Smith, Sr., the Lord elaborated on Hiram's calling and mission as patriarch. In D&C 124, verses 91 through 93, quote, that my servant Hiram may take the office of priesthood and patriarch, which was appointed unto him by his father, by blessing and also by right, that from henceforth he shall hold the keys of the patriarchal blessings upon the heads of all my people, that whoever he blesses shall be blessed, and whoever he curses shall be cursed, that whatsoever he shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever he shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." End quote. DMC 124, verses 91 through 93. Now we're going to talk about three types of patriarch. In the LDS Church, there are three general divisions or types of patriarchal office. Number one, patriarch over the whole church. Number two, patriarch over a stake. And number three, patriarch over a family. We will discuss each of the, these three in that order. Number one, presiding patriarchs. The presiding patriarch of the church is intended to be the father of the church. He is also appointed to be a prophet and a seer and a revelator unto my church. The same as the president of the church. c 124, verse 94. Chronological History of the Church, Volume 1. 387 says, quote, the first general or presiding patriarch of the Church of the New Dispensation was Joseph Smith, Sr., father of the prophet Joseph Smith, Jr. He was ordained to that office by Joseph Smith, Jr., Oliver Cowdery, Sidney Rigdon, Frederick G. Williams, who at that time were the presidency of the Melchizedek Priesthood on the 18th of December, 1834 at Kirkland, Ohio. That's Chronological History of the Church, Volume 1, page 387. The matter of selecting a patriarch was left to the Twelve for the future action and for the purpose of learning the will of the Lord concerning it. Wilfred Woodruff, Matthias Kelly, page 222. The church church patriarch then receives the word and will of the Lord for his selection of a church president when that office is vacated, not the the quorum of the Twelve Apostles, who are appointed to regulate all the affairs of the church among the nations, not at headquarters dNC 10733 there is a particular right through lineage that is associated with the office of church patriarch the order of this evangelical priesthood was confirmed to be handed down from father to son and rightly belongs to the literal descendants of the chosen seed to whom the promises were made this order was instituted in the days of adam and came down by lineage dnc 10740 through41. Joseph Fielding Smith goes into more detail regarding the heredity nature of patriarchal office, quote, it has always been understood, and so the revelations declare that, it is, that this office is hereditary in Revelation to Hiram Smith, a few days after the organization of the church. The Lord foreshadowed the coming of this priesthood as it would descend upon the head of Hiram Smith, and implied that it would be an office with which to pertain to his family. In the following words, Behold, I speak unto you, Hiram, a few words, for thou art also under no condemnation, and thy heart is open, and thy tongue loosed, and thy calling is to exhortation, and to strengthen the church continually. Wherefore, thy duty is unto the church forever, and this because of thy family. That's D&C 23, verse 3. The statement that the duty of Hiram was to the church forever because of his family evidently conveys the thought that he would succeed to the office of patriarch and that it should continue in his posterity to the end of time. For surely it would have to continue in this way to last forever in the church upon the earth among mortal men. Then again, the blessing that pronounced upon the head of Hiram Smith's father was that his calling was to come upon his head and his seed after him, to the uttermost, and so down through the history of the church. This doctrine has been recognized. Doctrine of Salvation, Smith, volume 3, page 164, see appendixes A and B, listing names, dates, and relationships of presiding church patriarchs. Unfortunately, however, in 1979, the patriarchal office of the church suffered from manhandling like so many other offices, principles, and laws. And the following announcement uh, was made regarding, it says, and the following announcement was made regarding that high priesthood office. In Ensign, November 1979, page 18, quote, N. Eldon Tanner, President Kimball has asked me to read the following statement. Because of the large increase in the number of stake patriarchs and the availability of patriarchal service throughout the world, we are now designate Elder Eldridge G. Smith as Patriarch Emeritus, which means that he is honorably relieved of all duties and responsibilities pertaining to the office of Patriarch to the Church, end quote, from Ensign, November 1979, page 18. Because the Church is growing, do we need to release the Church Patriarch? Isn't it his responsibility in calling to preside over those increased numbers of state patriarchs? <sighs> Correlated History of the Church, Volume 1, page 387 says, Since his jurisdiction in the line of his calling extends throughout the church, and he presides over, instructs, and directs the labors of all the patriarchs of the church, end quote. Chronological History of the Church, Volume 1, page 387. This is not only a sad commentary on the loss of an important office in the church, but it is another evidence that the house of God is out of order. The keys to that patriarchal priesthood office authorized the sealing of blessings on church leaders as well as they, the lay members, but those keys are now dormant. Number two, state patriarch. State. Patriarch. Oh. Excuse me. There is a significant difference between the patriarch of the church and the patriarch of a stake, as correctly explained by B.H. Roberts. In... Chronological History of the Church, Volume 1, page 387, quote, It will be observed that the twelve apostles are to ordain evangelical ministers in large branches of the church. Also, there is provided a presiding patriarch over all the patriarchs of the church, and he is known as the presiding patriarch of the church, holding the keys of the patriarchal blessings upon the heads of the Lord's people, the knowledge also through the inspiration of the Spirit of the Lord of their tribal relations in Israel, and the blessings and powers to which they may attain on conditions of their faithfulness. All the patriarchs or evangelists chosen in all large branches of the church by the apostles participate, of course, in all all these spiritual powers, graces, and rights of this office in the priesthood by the patriarchs of the respective large branches of the church are limited in their jurisdiction of blessing and designation of tribal relations and ancestry to their respective jurisdictions assigned them, end quote. Chronological History of the Church, Volume 1, page 387. And now, Family Patriarch. The seemingly forgotten patriarch is the man who presides um, over his family.
2: Yeah? Okay. Take a Hello? breath for a minute. Okay. <laughs> Hi. The reason they got rid of Elgidge. I've been here the whole time. The reason they got rid of Elgidge G. Smith is because he had a question about what he was supposed to do with the race of Cain when they gave the Canaanites the priesthood. Um, because there's very clear doctrine in the early restoration of what... Sorry, they're not supposed to have priesthood. They're not supposed to be in the temples. And Brigham Young said it will take somebody as great as Noah to reverse the curse and that that would not be done until the end of the millennium. And in Zechariah chapter 14, the very last...
4: Oh.
2: oh my gosh, I wish I could just shut these people up. I don't even want to hear them. I'm grumpy right now. Anyway, um, it says that in the millennium that there will be no more Canaanite in the house of the Lord, which indicates that they would get into the house of the Lord at some point. And Eldridge G. G. Smith started raising questions about that. They just got rid of his whole office. Now, I can't remember how many wards there are, but I think it's like thir- 28 to 30,000 wards. with 28 to 30,000 bishops. They didn't get rid of the patriarch, the uh, the presiding bishop of the church, you know. And there's less patriarchs because there, there's one patriarch per stake, you know. So it's just, you know, let's try to make up an excuse for something. They got rid of him because he was uh, raising too many questions, so they had to silence him. Anyway, I'll mute myself. Kim. Okay.
3: Continuing on, number three, Family Patriarch. The seemingly forgotten patriarch is the man who presides over his family. This order of patriarchs should not be considered as the least important, but rather as the greatest. His function is representative of the ancient order of patriarchs, as described by some of the biblical scholars. In Zondervan Encyclopedia of the Bible, volume four, page 856, and also 859, quote, In patriarchal times, the head of each household exercised the priestly function of sacrifice. In fact, God himself initiated the concept of priesthood at that time, or at the time of the fall of Adam, Genesis chapter 321. As previously stated, the full-fledged priestly system is Israel began with Moses. This does not mean the priestly functions of sacrifice and gifts to God were lacking because, as shown above, fathers' households cared fathers of households cared for these important matters in the earliest times sacrifice was not the sole province of a priest Cain and Abel Noah Abraham Isaac and Jacob as heads of families performed priestly functions before the building of the temple during this time the priesthood was found in families that's Gondervan Encyclopedia of the Bible volume 4 page 856 and 859 John Taylor explained this patriarchal priesthood within the individual families after the days of Noah. We find that after the days of Noah, an order was introduced called the patriarchal order in which every man managed his own family affairs. And prominent men among them were kings and priests unto God and officiated in what is known among us as the priesthood of the Son of God, or the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. Man began again to multiply in the face of the earth, and the heads of the families became their kings and priests. That is the fathers of their own people, and they were more or less under the influence and guidance of the Almighty. Journal of Course, Volume 17, page 207. Included in managing the affairs of his own family is the right of a father to give patriarchal blessings to his own children. This is in Doctrine of Salvation, Joseph Fielding Smith, Volume 3, page 172. Quote, a faithful father who holds Melchizedek priesthood may bless his own children, and that would be a patriarchal father's blessing. Such a blessing could be recorded in the family records, but it would not pre- be preserved in the archives of the church. Every father who is true to this priesthood is a patriarch over his own house. In addition, children may receive a blessing by an ordained patriarch, a father blessing his own child could, if he received the inspiration to do so, declare the lineage of the child. Doctrine of Salvation, Joseph Fielding Smith, Volume 3, page 172. Bruce R. McConkie gave us this surprisingly truthful doctrinal gem. In uh, Doctrinal New Testament Commentary, McConkie, Volume 3, page 294, quote, Whenever the Lord has a people on earth, he offers to make them a nation of kings and priests. Not a congregation of lay members with a priest or a minister at the head, but a whole church in which every man in his own minister, in which every man stands as a king in his own right, reigning over his own family kingdom. The priesthood which makes a man a king and a priest is thus a royal priesthood. Doctrinal New Testament Commentary, McConkie, Volume 3, page 294. An editorial on this subject was written in the Times and Seasons in June 1845. Quote, Every father, after he has received his patriarchal blessing, is a patriarch in his own family and has the right to confer patriarchal blessings upon his family, which blessings will be just as legal as those conferred by any patriarch of the church. In fact, it is his right, any patriarchal bless or patriarch, in blessing his children can only bless as his mouthpiece a patriarch to the church is anointed to bless those who are orphans or have no father in the church to bless them adam was the natural father of his posterity who were his family and over whom he presided as patriarch prophet priest and king both abraham and jacob stood in the same relationship to their families but not so with father joseph smith Hiram smith or William Smith they were not the natural fathers of the church and could not stand in the same capacity as Adam Abraham or Jacob but inasmuch as there had been none to bless for generations past according to the ancient order they were ordained and set apart for the purpose of conferring patriarchal blessings to hold the keys of this priesthood and unlock the door that had long been closed upon the human family that blessings might again be conferred according to the ancient order and those who were orphans or had no father to bless them might receive it through a patriarch who should act as proxy for their father and that fathers might again be enabled to act as patriarchs to their families and bless their children. For like all other ordinances in the church, this had been neglected and must needs be restored. Times and Seasons, Volume 6, page 921 and 922. And we're on page 186, if you wanted to say anything.
2: Can you hear me? Yep. So, um, Joseph Smith was actually a father to the saints in that when he received his calling and election, um, he was filled up to God. And Through the law of adoption others are filled up to him and he becomes a father in that way where he is the link on the earth to the heavenly fathers and mothers and all that they are still to. So, um, so I don't know. I, I think it's all interesting and I'm grateful for the reading. Um, I wanted to say one thing about what I said before. Um, the reason why the Canaanites aren't allowed in the house of the Lord is because they do not qualify for the higher blessings because of choices that they've made in the pre-existence. That doesn't mean that we're mean to them. That doesn't mean that we, uh, you know, discriminate against them in any other way. Um, And I just wanted to remind everybody that uh, back in the Old Testament times, it was only the Levites that had uh, that uh, somebody of the house of Aaron that had the right to go into the Holy of Holies or um, Levites to the Levitical priesthood. So um, nobody freaks out when Jews are like, well, you have to, you know, in order to do this, you have to be uh, a descendant of Levi or Aaron. Uh, so, I, you know, I don't know. I just, I just hate it when people are rude and mean to people, but like they, we all, every single one of us are placed in circumstances for the best learning experiences uh, based upon who we were in the pre-existence. And uh, there are certain people that de- uh, that actually qualified for higher blessings. They're the elect. The elect never left the side of God. Uh, and Jesus Christ in the war in heaven, period, end of story. Uh, the house of Japheth for the Gentiles, they did. And so did, um, well, Ham and all of his descendants. They all went with Lucifer in his rebellion before he became Satan. And uh, they don't qualify for the higher blessings. Now, if Japheth wasn't as bad as Ham, Ham never wanted to follow after, yes, you are Jesus Christ. Uh, there, it took a lot of convincing. And then the worst of them all was the, those who became the Canaanites. They only came over to the plan of salvation because they realized that they wouldn't get a body and come on here if they did not and that their side was losing. So because of their actions, there was a consequence, which is a consequence throughout all of the celestial phase of this earth and all of the terrestrial phase of this earth, which is the millennium. And then uh, they will receive their blessings, their washings and their anointings and all of that at the end of the millennium, if they endure faithful. That is the consequence of their actions. But that doesn't mean that we're rude or mean to them. We defend ourselves from all ignorant people, no matter who they are, you know. Uh, So you judge. I like what Martin Luther King said. He said, judge people by the content of their character, not by their skin color. And I would say the same thing. So anyway, I'm headed to Hunter Power, Kim. And I'm almost to the top of Barrel Hill, so I'll probably be cutting it a lot again. Okay. Yeah. The reason why I'm grumpy. Yeah. Okay. The reason why I'm grumpy tonight is because I damaged a tendon a couple of weeks ago in my no. finger, and I can't bend my finger out, like straighten it up. So I put a brace on it, and I've been using a brace. And it hurts when I have the brace on it. But last night, I had two big chunks of coal stuck in between my drive tires. And it took a lot of effort to get the two pieces of coal out. And I hurt my tendon even worse than I had before. And so I can feel it in my wrist and my elbow now. So... And uh I think because of the pain I didn't get very good sleep. So I'm tired and I'm hungry, and my arm hurts. But I'll be fine. Anyway, so that's why I'm grumpy, but try not to Is let it, it go okay, too. Okay, when
3: we got the brace.
2: Um, yeah, when I got the brace on, um the sharp pains stopped when it's compressed on my elbow and my wrist but then it starts burning in a different way. So um, I kept it on for as long as I could, and I just took it off a minute ago. I'm letting it breathe, and I'll put it back on in a minute.
3: Okay, yeah. It's hard to get used to.
2: Yeah. Well, the the, the tendon in my finger, The uh, just for those of you, I guess I'll describe it a little bit.
4: The very end
2: of my finger... Um, it it's just bent down. Ow. It won't straighten up unless I straighten it up with my other hand. So I put this uh, brace on it to try to get it to go right. Oh, oh. And uh, it's been swollen for about six weeks. So not bad. Sorry. But... Hey, Mom. Hi.
3: Sorry, you just stepped on my face almost. Okay.
2: Um, There was another thing I wanted to say, and I know this is a little off-topic, but when this whole pandemic started back in March of 2020, um, my witness, Joshua Sparks, who saw the Father lay his hands on my head, he contacted me and he asked me about this, and I prayed, and I came back to him with a message, and I told him that the cure for the pandemic would be worse than the pandemic itself. And I still stand behind that. And um, that's time-stamped in uh, Facebook Messenger where I responded to him, you know, but, um, and it was in March of 2020 that I said that, and I stand by that. This pandemic is man-made, it's genetically engineered, the vaccine isn't the vaccine. It's uh, genetic uh, genetic engineering. It's bad news. It's all part of the depopulation uh, curriculum, I guess, of the New World Order, and the Georgia Guidestones in their attempt to get the population of the Earth under 500 million people. And um, Bill Gates actually, back in 2010, in a uh, TED talk type of talk called Innovate to Zero and you can go look at this on YouTube. It's still there. Innovate to Zero. And he talks about how know. they will use health What?
3: Oh, sorry. I forgot that I'm unmuted. Arius is chewing on anyway, something.
2: Anyway, he said that uh, they will use health care and vaccines to depopulate the earth. 10 to 15 percent. That was in 2010. Well, they have made it a whole lot more potent, and uh, I just I don't trust these these vaccines. I I mean, I know that vaccines were a good thing until very 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 wicked men and women like Bill and Melinda Gates got into there, and they're making money off of it, trying to force it upon everyone and uh, it's, it's bad news. Uh, sterilization, uh, vaccine injuries, and the United States government has actually made it illegal to sue vaccine manufacturers for damages, because this has all been in the works for a very long time. In fact, the, the uh, Dr. Fauci talked about President Trump was going to have to deal with a worldwide pandemic back in September of 2019, way before the, you know, before the, the outbreak in Wuhan, China, because they knew it was going to happen. Um, and, in fact, they patented the coronavirus, uh, I think, in 2017. So, I mean, I, people just need to have discernment. And, you know, don't just do something because t- somebody tells you to do it. If you feel like you should take something even if it's just medication, even if it's herbal supplements, just tell God what you're going to do and, and put it off for a little bit and say, Heavenly Father, this is what I want to do after you've studied it out to the best of your ability. And, and tell them. like, if you still, after you've studied it out and you're still gung-ho with it, tell them what you're going to do. And then seek for confirmation of the Holy Spirit before you do it. Uh, we should. We all actually need to have that discernment in our lives in these trying times. So um, I just, I just. Um, I was just thinking about that. You know, God told me that the cure will be worse than the, the uh, pandemic, and I stand behind that 100%. So. All right, I'm going to mute myself again. By the way, I'm going to Hunter Power now for some reason. Uh, Instead of doing shorts, I don't know why. But that will put me back up to the mine about 12.30. And then I'm going to take one last one out of there and be done because I am so tired right now. I I know, right? I'm done. I just want to be done. Yeah, it's almost 10
3: o'clock now. And we still have a lot left in this chapter. Did you know that?
2: <laughs> no, I I was listening to it earlier on my reader program, and I did notice it was pretty long.
3: It is pretty long. So we're halfway through right now.
2: Okay.
4: Um, well, if kind of you can you want me to keep to reading part two.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Well, if you find a good place for a part, two, we can do two parts of this program. But we're okay, not going to be able to do the second laws. part until Monday. Okay. Just, uh, uh, by the way, if like, there are any... Go ahead, Kim. Oh.
3: I've got, like, three pages until we get to the patriarchal laws.
2: Okay. I'll mute myself, and uh, we'll open up the guest caller not, uh, lines at this time time the guest caller line is 917-889-8827 there are 50 lines well, there's actually 40 lines 49 lines mm-hmm. available right now uh for anybody to call in just to listen or make uh, ask questions or comments about anything to do with the restoration theology or anything like that so uh, phone lines are open now Kim uh, will finish the three pages and then if we don't have anybody call in that's fine but we'll be done with the program for today so go ahead Kim I will mute me
3: okay I will do as good of a job as I can with a two year old who is done with me reading (laughs) okay When a father holds the Melchizedek priesthood, he not only has the right privilege and power to instruct and perform ordinances for his family, it is his duty. In that position, he automatically is a patriarch. His priesthood becomes a patriarchal priesthood, and all the authority, calling, and keys are inherent for him to bless, teach, and administer ordinances for his wives and children. According to Brigham Young, in Journal of Discourse, Volume 3, page 46, quote, If I had power of myself to heal the sick which I do not profess to have, or to cast out our devils, to cast our devils is what it says, but I think it means out devils, which power I have not got. So if the Lord sees fit to cast them out through my command, it is all right. Still, if I had that power and there was no other person to help me, the people would do as they do now. They would hunt me almost to death saying, won't you lay hands on this sick person? Won't you go to my house over yonder? And so on. I am sent forth continually, though I only go occasionally because it is the privilege of every father who is an elder in Israel to have faith to heal his family, just as much so as it is my privilege to have faith to heal my family. And if he does not do it, he is not living up to his privilege. It is just as reasonable for him to ask me to cut his wood and maintain his family, for if he had faith himself he would save me the trouble of leaving other duties to attend to his request journal of discourse volume 3 page 46 and now on page 187. some family patriarchs have failed to baptize their own children because they question their right to do it and some have entered into common law marriages rather than be sealed by the head of the family holding patriarchal priesthood all this is an insult to their priesthood. They have more right to perform ordinances for their family than any bishop, stake president, or apostle, because the right first follow the patriarchal order of the priesthood. A patriarchal priesthood order is a fatherly order. You rely upon your earthly father for temporal things and upon your spiritual father for spiritual things. There is little reason for you to follow somebody else and his priesthood When it comes to matters of your own family, each patriarch is to build his kingdom as God built his, as he will never preside over anyone but his own children, who will be the subjects in the kingdom, which they will rule, who are exalted in the celestial kingdom of our God. Will they reign over their neighbor's children? Oh, no. Over whom then will they reign? Their own children, their own posterity will be the citizens of their kingdom. In other words, the patriarchal order will prevail there to the endless ages of eternity, and the children of each patriarch will be his while eternal ages roll on. This is not according to the present customs, for now, when a young man reaches the age of 21 years, he is free from his parents and counselors, or and considers that he is no longer under the necessity of being controlled by his father. Yeah. That, his, the, that is according to our customs and laws of our country. It is a very good law and adapted to the imperfections that now exist areas don't do that, but it will now it will not be so in the eternal world. there will never be any such thing there is areas areas one minute almost done there will never be any such thing there as being from i don't know if that's that's worded correctly. There will never be any such thing there as being from under their father's rule, no matter whether 21 or 21,000 years of age. It will make no difference. Sorry, i got to take that from him. They will still be subject to the laws of their patriarch or father, and they must observe and obey them throughout all eternity. There is only one way by which children can be freed from that celestial law and order of things and that is by rebellion end quote orson pratt journal of discourse volume 15 page 319 through 20. the main idea here is that the whole human race consists of families that are part of a much larger family with god as our father he is the grand patriarch over his family brigham young explained in Journal of Discourse, Volume 11, page 262, quote, The kingdoms he, God, possesses and rules over are his own progeny. What the heck is that? Okay. Arius, don't. Every man who is faithful and gets a salvation and glory and becomes a king of kings and lord of lords or a father of fathers, it will be by the increase of his own progeny. Our father and God rules over his own children wherever there is a god in all eternities possessing a kingdom and glory and power it is by means of his own progeny journal discourse volume 11 page 262 and this next quote comes from journal discourse volume 4 page 268 quote he is the father of our spirits and if we could know understand and do his will every soul would be prepared to return back into his presence and when they get there they would see that they had formerly lived there for ages that they had previously been acquainted with every nook and corner with the places, walks and gardens, and they would embrace their father and he would embrace them and say, my son, my daughter, I have you again. And the child would say, oh, my father, my father, I am here again, end quote. Journal of Discourse, volume four, page 268. And that leaves us at the end of page 188, Um, the patriarchal laws and that's what we'll be reading the next time what are you doing are you shoving that in there okay I'm gonna go on and check the call in board did you have anything that you wanted to say Oh, I guess he's already on the, and he is chatting with somebody in the box. So that's okay. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about my patriarchal blessing. Um, And when I received it, I received it when I was in um, New Hampshire, and actually our patriarch was three hours away. So um, we had to drive that far to go over there to um, get the blessing. And it was really interesting because, um, I was pondering about it and talking about it with, um, you know, everybody, my Bishop and, uh, different members of our ward at the time, our little branch. And, um, I, a friend of mine sent me a book about patriarchal blessings. And I read that so I could prepare, and I was um, writing down questions and thinking about what it is that um, I had questions about that I was hoping to have answered in my patriarchal blessing. And one of the things um, that I was thinking, I had a friend actually, a really nice friend, um, she lived quite a ways away from me, but she drove me over to get my patriarchal blessing, and that made it very special to me, and I will never forget that. And actually her car had a problem, when we went to go do it, and, um, I can't remember what it was, but we had to stop and have it fixed before we could make it over, but we finally made it over to the Patriarch, and, um, he sat down and talked with me for a little bit, oh, excuse me, and, um, we discussed a little bit of things, I can't remember all that was discussed, I had my journal with me so I could write it down, um, it, I wrote down a lot of things in the journal. Um, And one of the things that I had prayed about beforehand was that, um, you know, to question whether or not this man did have the authority to do this, um, was questioning, um, if it was going to be from God and if it was true and accurate. And, um, I had asked God and had been hoping and praying that he could feel the spirit while He was giving me the blessing so that the spirit would be, you know, helping him to know what he should say. And um, one of the first things that came out of his mouth when he put his hands on my head was that um, he could, you know, after he said my name and um, who he was and that he was giving me a patriarchal blessing, um, he said that he could feel the spirit coursing through my veins even then while he was giving the blessing and so that gave me it just like gave me the goosebumps all over and I just I just felt the spirit spirit so strongly and I knew that he had he was listening to the spirit and listening to what he should be saying um so yeah that was really interesting of my patriarchal um blessing that I had gotten, I actually had received two. I received one um then, and one later on as I came out here um, and we have been you know in a lot of different groups uh fundamentalist groups and other groups um we've never joined any other group. Um, because we haven't been uh, God hasn't told us to but we um, have you know talked with and corresponded with and spoke bread with other groups um, and other people um, for as long as we've been out here so let me see I'll just go on okay so it looks like mm, it looks like Mark um, was just chatting with somebody else are you
2: back on yeah um, I'm going to bring are are you done with the reading for tonight
3: yes I am
2: okay we have uh, Jack from West Virginia who is a fundamental Baptist it's not the same guy as a couple of months ago So we were just talking, and then he dropped off, and it looks like he's back now. So I'll bring him up on the air. Did you have anything before we bring him on the air that you wanted to say about what you just read?
3: Um, No, I was just talking about my my patriarchal blessing and experience with that personally. Um, But you can go ahead. Actually, it was a really good segue, and um, you can go ahead and bring him on. I will mute myself and probably... Get this little kid ready for bed.
2: I'm going to need your help because I'm going to go through Washpoint here in a minute, and then okay. I'll have about 10 minutes before I go into Emory County where I can talk. So. Okay. 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 We'll bring uh, Jack from West Virginia. He's a fundamental Baptist, and uh, we'll just unmute him at this time. So welcome to hey, the program. Good. What is your, yeah, so no, uh, no, what no, is, no. yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I just uh, wanted to know uh, if you had any specific questions or comments uh, about yeah whatever tonight. Yeah.
5: yeah, so, of course, you know, I'm a, a Baptist, you're a Mormon. Um, I do believe, you know, we have very similar values. And I was curious of how you think, you know, different fundamental interfaith groups could work together to try and pull our nation back to a path to God. And if you'd be interested in even doing that.
2: Um, I think that we need to gather in communities of like-minded people and prepare ourselves for what is coming, because I don't think anything's going to stop it. Um, I just, I know that this nation has been blessed, but as we've turned away from God as a people, uh, the cursing of God has come upon this nation. I totally, and, uh, I, I, I totally
5: agree. I, I, I agree. I, I went to church tonight and there was people talking about COVID and, you know, and, all this stuff and I literally stood up and I said hey you know God said he would send us plagues and diseases and you know there's nothing we can do to you know stop it no vaccine no nothing the only thing that can stop these you know judgments is to be right with God and and that's my opinion
2: yeah, and we're in the last days right now. I mean, it's evidently clear. The signs of the times are all around us as well as the signs in the heavens. You know, um, we need to get right with God and to try to teach our families and our children uh, correct values and principles and show them where it's rooted in Scripture. It's like, there's I'm going to say something that's probably going to get me maybe in a little bit of trouble with uh, a bunch of groups that, like, so I have uh, a best friend who is bisexual, and I love him to death, but it's an abomination, and it's clearly laid out in the New Testament and in the Old Testament that this is an abomination. Romans,
5: um, well, 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 you know, everywhere. Leviticus.
2: Yeah, it's it's there, you know, so... We, as a people, think that... uh, Well, I think one of the problems is we've got a lot of people that are saved by grace, and they don't think that they have to keep God's commandments because they're saved by grace. And um, we are saved by grace, but the unwilling or rebellious heart was never saved to begin with.
5: You know what I mean? that's where I personally... I mean, that's actually where I personally... Disagree with my own faith, but Baptist. Um, I do believe in saved by grace, but I don't believe in once saved always saved. I think that's ridiculous. I think you have to at least yeah. try to keep God's commandments. You might not be perfect. But you have to you have to at least work on keeping God's commandments. You know, there's I can't you know beat my wife or you know abuse my kids and then say, well, I'm saved by grace. You can't. I, I don't. I. I to me that hypocrisy and and the this instinct to think that God doesn't look that.
2: Yeah, and we we keep God's commandments because we love Him, and uh, He said, "If you love Me, keep My commandments." You know, and also, like if you don't do those things, you never loved Him to begin with. You know, people want exactly salvation and- without work, and the work is keeping God's commandments we don't work for salvation so, but we that's how we show God that we love him
5: I don't I don't think that salvation is too works but I do believe that you know works the way to show God that you know we're keeping his command uh, I think God yep. loves us uh, no matter how wicked we are unless we become like reprobate and homosexual and all these weird things murderers um, you yeah. know You need to at least, in my opinion, and this has gotten me in trouble in my church, I don't think you can be a horrible person and just be saved on your deathbed and go to heaven. I don't believe that. Um, I think you have to at least try to keep God's commandments. Because if you love God, your heart is going to want to keep those commandments. Or at least try. If you truly love God, you're going to try to keep those commandments.
2: Yeah. And I agree. I agree. Uh, A lot of these liberal churches, they don't even teach God's commandments. It's all—Jeremiah said that the prophets in the last days, and I believe he's talking about the teachers of the scriptures in the last days, would speak smooth things and pleasing things to the ears of the congregation. Yeah, and so they they want people to come into the church, but they, they want to be popular with the world. And God, uh, in the New Testament, it says to be friends with the world is to be in opposition or an enmity with God. You know, they want both yeah. things. And I think for a lot of these people, it's about power. You know, how many people can they get to, to follow them? And how much money can they get, please, uh, from the sheep? You know, how much power exactly. can they get? And it's not about... Loving God or understanding or teaching correctly the scriptures, it's about
0: you know it's
5: a social club. Yeah, exactly. And I don't, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how old, I don't know how old your your kids are. Uh, So my kids are you know preteen, so I don't allow them to have unrestricted internet access. But my wife, my wife of course does, and you know we'll we'll look through our kids' phones and see, like, TikTok videos, and it's, you know, you have uh, homosexual preachers and girls. It, it, they have literally turned the faith of God into, you know, just love yourself, love your neighbor. You don't have to do anything to be a Christian. You just you got to, you know, love God. That's it. You, you can do anything you want to, but, you know, as long as you love God, you're a Christian. And that's insane to me, and that's been the downfall of our nation.
2: Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, is uh, the enemies of God have pushed their agenda uh, to the point where they've normalized wickedness. Now, in the past, the devil would tempt people, but because they were taught correct principles and values, people had to resist the temptations of the devil. But once it was normalized in society, people do not resist the temptation of the devil. And you see a a spiritual plague come upon the people of this nation and around the world, where they just accept every revelation from from the devil that comes along. And, you know, we're told to test the spirits for thereby many false teachers and false prophets have gone, uh, you know, false doctrines have gone out in the world But people don't know how to do that You know, they don't know what the scriptures are They're told that That uh, abominations Are okay And that nobody better question that You know, and so You've got this uh, You know, the youth of our nation Is being raised up in this wickedness Where they think that it's okay So when the devil comes along And tells them Oh, you're this way then they just give into it instead of fighting like they would have fought if they were taught correct principles to begin with. Back in the day when, as a society, we understood that these things were wrong, you know, people would resist the temptation of the devil, but they don't do that anymore. So you see this, uh, it's basically we've gotten past the tipping point where there is no return. And all we can do is save ourselves by teaching our, our children correct principles. And if we're in a liberal area with liberal education, we need to get the heck out of there and go find a place where people have our values. And if if you can't find that, you've got to find like-minded people and homeschool your children or, you know, protect them. Because as society tries to, to be the parent in the, the relationship, you know, and tries to say that you're wrong and tries to teach them, uh, wicked abominations is good Then they'll give in to it And you lose your family to it uh, You know well, it's, well, it's a horrible what, thing that's happening
5: Well What I what I think it comes from Is uh, honestly you know Like Matthew 7 uh, You know like the beginning of Matthew 7 says, You know do not judge uh, and, and I think that's what Most liberal churches Or I like the word you use Social clubs They'll use Uh, You know, but if you read the full scripture, it says, you know, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to that in the plank of your own eye? So the Bible does not tell us not to judge sin. It says before you judge sin, make sure your house is in order. And I think this whole, you know, idea of you know anything goes you know you want to be a homosexual you want to fornicate you know you want to you know use drugs you know that's fine just love god and that's clearly not what the bible teaches i'm not familiar with the book of Mormon but i mean there clearly has to be worked you know with faith clearly yeah
2: i agree I, I don't what, know. What, I, just, what, I what think I'm, that we don't want to allow it in the congregation of the righteous. Or or even, the, I mean, in the churches, like, okay, you do it. You go out of your social club. You call it a church. Do what you want. But what they want to do is they want to infiltrate every every place and force their agenda upon all people. And people who give given to yeah. it. Well, it's like. If if you allow sin in your midst, you're guilty of the sin that you allow. So if you're coddling somebody exactly. who is being wicked, you're guilty of that sin and you'll be judged according to what you allowed or what you you went along with. You know, oh it's okay, you don't have to worry about it. God doesn't really think that it's an abomination when clearly he says in scripture that it is an abomination.
5: And defend because and, and look, and- it's not just that, it's, 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 it's everything. I mean,
2: Kim, I'm going to need really you to come back is. on the air. Kimberly, that's my wife. Yep, I'm still here. I've been listening. Okay. Um, I might drop off. I, I don't know if you know this, uh, Jack, but I actually drive a semi-truck for a living. And um, uh, we live in Central Utah, and it's pretty. There's hills and stuff here in this desert, but I, I have a couple areas that I break up a bunch, and I'm coming that's, up to one of those areas now.
5: That's that's really cool. I'm act I'm actually a fleet diesel mechanic himself. <laughs> oh, so I started driving. Hopefully, ho- hopefully, 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 you're a freightliner, uh, a freightliner fan.
2: No, I, I'm driving a W9 Kenworth <laughs> right now. I got two trailers oh. and about uh, 20, let's see, 128,000 pounds, I think, is my current load.
5: <laughs> I mean, Ken, Kenworth is probably, you know, top of the line, but old-school diesel mechanics, I really like straight liner. The old shaking brakes shaking and that, I really like them. I've actually
2: uh, had it uh, I've actually drove a bunch of Freightliners in the past I do like Kenworth so okay I'm going into an area right now
5: okay what what me personally the reason I call the, the ultimate reason I called, I would like to see fundamental people of, of you know all actual you know faith you know Mormonism you know I do think you know you're true believers, uh, fundamental baptism, um, and different, you know, sects of Christianity, I, I would like to see the fundamental community come together and say, you know, we're not going to stand for things like homosexuality, fornication, pornography, you know, I, I think that I would really like to see us come together and, like, work together. I think that would be great for our nation. Yeah, now, if we can get over I, the I,
2: theological differences. If we could get over the the theological differences, you know, the scriptures are very clear about what right and wrong is and what uh, Jesus asks us to do in keeping the commandments. And there's not a whole lot of argument or debate about the the basic principles of the gospel. Now, there's a lot of theological arguments that could be had, but if people could uh, come in the unity of the faith as to what God has asked us to do and keeping the commandments, then that would probably help a lot. Go ahead, Kim.
3: Um, One of the other things that is always a a difficulty when when any groups are coming together is that there's always somebody who wants to be in charge or be in control of other people. And uh, in a true Zion-like community, it can't be that way. We're all governed by the same principles, and we govern our own families Um, uh, using those such uh, principles. uh,
5: I had I, I was in I was in church today and you know uh, I said you know they were having a debate about COVID back then and I personally mm-hmm. stood up and said hey we're all self governed by God and have self autonomy and no matter if somebody wants to do it or don't want to do it there should not be no reason to be divisive in our community.
2: Yep. Well, God yeah. God says through the book um, James chapter one verse five if you lack wisdom ask God wisdom about. You know the subject that you're asking about that let him ask in faith not wavering for he that is uh, wavereth is like a wave tossed to and on the sea so what I tell people is study it out to the best of your ability look at the statistics look at where these vaccines are coming from and who's pushing the, the agenda and then if you feel like that's what you need to do is get this vaccine then take it to God and, and tell him this is what I want to do I want wisdom on the matter and get confirmation of the Holy Spirit that it is correct. And if it is correct, (laughs) then the fruit of the Spirit will be evident, wherein that we will have peace, joy, love, and these type of feelings with an increase of the Holy Spirit. But if it's wrong, the Spirit will withdraw from us and we'll have the exact opposite reaction take place. And if that happens, we can know that this is not good for us and that we should not get it. And that is uh, individual revelation that each and every single one of us
5: has the ability to have to. My, my personal opinion, I think he might have dropped off if he was making a point. Yeah, I my think personal he did. Opinion, <laughs> my personal opinion is, you know, no vaccine will save our country or our or our people, you know, or humanity. Uh, the only way to actually correct our, our path is to get right with God. And I think that's the only thing that we can do. And, you know, it. it even though we might have different, you know, beliefs on you know, theological ideas, I think that we ultimately believe the same thing. We ultimately, you know, raise our families the same way. And I think that's Mm -hmm. way more important than, you know, than disagreeing about, you know, a couple books, to be honest with you.
3: Right. Yeah, and if if we all just teach our children to be raised with respect to other people's personal beliefs and their – you know, other people's right to, because everybody has their own free agency, um, and a lot of people well, want to take away I, others' agency.
5: I just I, I disagree but, with that on a point. Uh, I don't think mm-hmm. that we should respect, um, you know, anti-God faith. I, I, I don't believe we should. We shouldn't be, you know, argumentative or, you know, or fight them, but I don't think we should respect or, you know, value anti like atheists or you know mm-hmm. Muslims. well i was or,
3: talking about in a like-minded people. community so in a like-minded okay, yeah, community yeah, everybody therefore would already well you know at least in my opinion everybody would actually be god-believing god-fearing people because that would be a like-minded community so, so absolutely um when it comes to also homosexualism that would not be accepted in that community that would not be the right place for yeah, that person it, to be. It's not bad, being
5: mean to bad, them. You know it, it's, not, it, it's not, I, I will say, and, and some people who are listening might get, if you're a man listening, you might get mad about what I'm about to say. But if you're mm-hmm. a man with a wife, and, and you're with a woman, and you engage in sodomy, that's the same thing to me as being mm-hmm. a homosexual. Oh, yeah, I mean, I mean that's,
2: I agree. And that, and that actually goes right along with the scriptures. But the problem is the scriptures are not being taught. People want to cherry yeah. pick, and it's cafeteria Christianity where they grab what they think is tasty, but they don't want to go through the hard stuff in the meat of the gospel. You know, But in yeah. the scriptures, it yeah. clearly says that sodomy is against God's will for us. And that doesn't just go for homosexuality. That goes for
5: everyone. You're you're absolutely correct. You know, I I work, you know, I'm a a mechanic, so, you know, of course there's, you know, certain talk on the job, which honestly upsets me. I think, and I'm I'm a very masculine guy, uh, but I think it's utterly repulsive when men talk about, like, things their wives do in the bedroom. I think that's yeah. utterly repulsive. Um, well, I mean, that's they, something don't, they so don't honor a
2: sacred. It's a sacred space. You, you don't bring sacred things to. You know, that's like casting your pearls before swine. We're told not to do that in the yes. scriptures as well.
5: Exactly, and 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 for for straight men, I would say to straight men, if you view pornography, that's uh, a homosexual act, in my opinion. Uh, if you engage in sodomy, even with a woman, that's that's horrible. Um, yeah. And, yeah, if you talk about your wife that way, or you're even, I mean, it, it's bad to, to fornicate before marriage. But even if you have a girlfriend or a fiance, and you talk about, like, you know, what you guys do together to other men, that's almost like cuckoldry. You're giving, you're planting seeds in other men's minds about your wife, and that's really, really wicked. Yeah. Yeah,
2: I don't have to worry about that too much in my profession. I pretty much keep to myself. Uh I drive a cold truck uh here in central Utah and I really I don't really fit in with any of the, the, the people. I don't know if he's still on. Oh, he just called back in. Hold on, I'll unmute you.
5: Okay. I'm sorry. I, I have my like, my wife bought me like these new Bluetooth headphones, like they don't have like a oh. wire. If I if I touch the, in the wrong way it hangs up my phone. <laughs> That's fine. Um,
2: but yeah, I was just saying I actually feel lucky. I don't have to I don't really fit into with the people around me as a truck driver. And I was a mechanic and I used to work in the oil fields and I used to have to deal with what you're talking about more back then. Uh, but I've been able to kind of come out of that kind of situation with the profession that I've chosen and not really engage with people who are like that. And, you know, if I do have to hear it, then I usually say, well, I got something else I got to go do and I'll just leave it, you know. So, I mean, I kind of feel for you because I know how it is. I've been there myself. Well, I actually I felt, started. Dri-
5: i found something that's very um, successful, to be honest. Uh what I mean, what I've done in my job at least, when I hear like, you know, especially young men talking about stuff like that, I just easily pull them aside on lunch break and I say, Hey man, do you love your wife? Do you love your girlfriend? Of course, of course. Why would you want to share, you know, something so intimate with other men? And you know, am like, Oh, well, you know, we're just talking about it and I'm like talk about, you know, the news, talk about, you know, whatever sport you like. I mean don't that's something <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that can, I mean, it, it's really weird that our society has normalized that. I mean, because I know for a fact, you know, if I would, if my wife, you know, would be around somebody that I talked to her, like talked to them about her like that, and she knew about that, she wouldn't be comfortable around them, you know. And and I even told one guy, one, you know, my my best friend, my actual circle of people they would never ask me such things about my wife because out of respect for me, they would never ask me such things. Yeah. And, well, it's, and, you know, people that, have the fruit. There's a, there's a certain
2: fruit to a, a defiled people. And sometimes, you know, people get sucked into it. So I'm glad that you actually pull pull people aside and actually talk to them privately. Um, you know that's a good thing to do i think but um i don't know it's just like i was saying before our society is normalized wicked and evil whatever you know and and uh it, it sometimes it's hard to be part of it but we've been told to come out of babylon you know come out of her my people lest ye be partakers of her sins and her plagues you know so that's why i talked about like you know, coming are coming out of those kind of situations, but you know, the other thing too, with on the other side of the coin, sometimes God has us in those situ- situations so that we can be a witness to the truth and and speak truth, uh, you know, to the people that were around. So I mean, God sent angels into Sodom to call them to the repentance, you know. So I mean, I just tell people. Personally, I tell people, you know, go where God wants you to be. But if God's telling you to get out, you need to get out. You know, if God doesn't want you in that situation, He is the master, and we need to be obedient to His commands and not just uh, shrug them off. And I see a lot of that's, people that's doing that. Means. You know, God will try. God will try to tell people, you know, you need to come out of the situation, and they won't do it. And God won't speak over and over and over again to get people to to listen, you know, he he'll he'll speak to them maybe a couple of times and then if they won't listen, he won't talk to them anymore. You know, until they come out of and, it.
5: So and, and and I agree 100%. And I would say to anybody listening, if you if you're like a young man listening and you you want to be, you know, here, you want to actually, you know, keep commandments The best thing you can say, if if, if you work in a blue-collar field like I do, you know, like you do, here's the one thing that I've got every guy to change their mind about this. Every time I hear a guy say something about his wife or his girlfriend, I say to them, would you send naked pictures of your wife or girl to to these men? And they say, of course not. And then I say, then why would you express her most intimate moments with them? And, and they, it's like something changes in their mind. They're like, well, I've never thought about it that way. Yeah. Well, people like to go along with
2: the crowd.
5: Go ahead. I'm sorry. Do you, are you from
3: Virginia? Sorry.
5: West Virginia.
3: West Virginia. West Virginia. And um, do your kids go to public school?
5: No, we my wife homeschooled them.
2: Oh, okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> my wife is actually a teacher, but before she was a teacher, she public our she homeschooled our kids as well.
3: Yep, so we're kind and of I like, wouldn't uh, teach uh, so in we Virginia. We are
5: actually,
2: <laughs> we're actually really no, lucky no, no, that but, we live well, in a so, very conservative area. Yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Virginia, the, the the state of, the state of Virginia, is very liberal. West Virginia mm-hmm. is a totally different state, and it's very, oh, it? <laughs> very Okay, so yeah, are
2: you on well, the? Are you Are you in in the Appalachia? Are you closer to Kentucky or where? I'm close. I'm like,
5: I'm like, I'm like 45 minutes from Kentucky.
2: Oh, cool. Yeah, we uh, we actually have a friend uh, who I was talking about on the program who runs a ministry out there. His name's Joshua Sparks. You lived in Ash, Ashton or Ash?
5: I think it's Ashton. Uh, actually, okay. It's Ashton. It's Ashton, Kentucky. Yeah. That's actually very close to me. And uh, I don't know how long your show is going to run, but if you would like to maybe bring me on a back channel when this is done, we could exchange some information because uh, that's very close to me. And I would love to, you know, come and set in on a service.
2: Okay. Um, yeah he has a church That he does out there I uh, He's our friend but It's been a while since I've talked to him Like I said on the program before When he he asks me So I don't know how long you've been listening to this program And I'm just going to say my first time ever.
5: This is my first time ever This is my first So I went on blog talk uh, Looking for a Christianity program And I saw your program And it said fundamentals So I was like hey we might have some disagreements, but I bet we'll agree on some things. So this is my first time actually listening to your show.
2: Oh, okay. Um, I'll actually um, – actually, uh, do you do Facebook?
5: No, no, I don't use any so- – my wife uses social media if you want to do that, oh. but I don't use any social media. If, if, you're, if now, your I- wife would like to add my wife, that's fine. But uh, other than that, no, I don't use any social media.
2: Okay, um, or your wife could actually find me at uh, Facebook.com.
5: Forward slash, well, could my wife uh, could, could my wife add could my wife add your wife?
2: Yeah, that would be fine. I just don't know what my my wife's. Um, I don't know what her URL is, but her name is, on Facebook is Kimberly Lichtenwalter. Well- so, she well, find her.
5: We're not if, if you don't mind, we could, you know, uh, discuss that later. I just I mean, I personally, yeah, uh, my, my wife, my wife doesn't add men on Facebook. That's just a oh, think she won't that, do that's that. that's
2: fine. Yeah, they, um, the reason I use social media is to reach the masses. You know, so I can reach more people and be a witness And teach, you know.
5: So let me let me let me let me me, 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 me ask you a question. Let me like let me like throw an idea. at you. How would you feel about you know, uh, even though I'm a Baptist, you're a Mormon. How would you feel about like us, you know, actually talking about you know theology and working together to like you know put out like fundamental doctrine? How would you feel about that?
2: Ah if i have time but my problem is uh, as you know truck drivers work 60 to 70 hours a week and we also have a 10 acre farm and five kids so i am extremely wow. busy all the time
4: yeah in <laughs> fact uh, my
2: wife my wife helps with the the program because i am driving a lot so it's it's hard for me to do a lot of things but I I actually have a huge following in Pakistan and India, and I'm always getting requests for to come over and help with their churches and stuff. And I just I don't know, have what, the time or uh, the energy.
5: <laughs> so, so I was I was in the military and I went to you know Afghanistan, and I you know I, I have some connections with the Pashtun community, uh, and mm-hmm. I have some connections with the Sikh community in, in Northwestern India. So, I mean. That's all stuff we could talk about later, but I just um, I, what, Kim, what I want. What what Uh go ahead. just
2: real quick. Kim, can you check the chat because I see that people are talking in the chat room. Uh just make sure there's no questions or comments that people wanted to ask or whatever. Uh go ahead, Jack.
5: Yeah, so like my main thing, what I really, really want to do I think that like the point that our nation is that this whole you know only evangelizing about one you know school of thought when it comes to theology that's hurting us and we're shooting ourselves in the foot. I think that men who are you know keeping God's commandments, no matter if they're Mormon, Baptist, you know, um, fundamental, Catholic, or you know, or Orthodox. We need to find things that we agree upon that we can use as communal values. We need to make a community before we ever preach about, you know, theology. And I think that, you know, if if we're living for God, if we're living for God, God will bless us. Yes. Now I do have
2: to say something. Okay. So, um, I know you don't know me from Adam. Um, uh, I don't know how to say this. <sighs> okay, well, God gives me revelations. He's shown me visions, oh, a whole bunch of stuff. In 2016, God told me to take my family to this area in central Utah. It's very rural. And he told me to warn everybody to leave the cities and to gather out of the cities. And um, and then he told me to stay here uh, until it gets too dangerous, which it will, uh, for us to remain. And then he told us to go into a place in the, in the wilderness in a very remote area of this country. Um, and I believe 100% that, uh, that he is leading me and guiding me and preparing me. Uh, but also he told me to tell other people to lead the populated. Out of them, and also we've been told, um, you know, to come out of Babylon, my people. So I just don't see that we're going to be able to make a difference in the. The I believe we're past the point of no return with uh, the Sodom type communities uh, and the acceptance of wickedness and abominations that this country is accepting and that there will be a great judgment that comes, and that we need to gather the like-minded people. So we, my wife and I, actually uh, go to a Pentecostal church, and the reason why I like these guys so much is because they stick to the basics and the principles uh, taught by Jesus Christ, and they don't have the same theology that we have as far as, like, whether God is the Trinity or whether um, the Father and the Son are separate. You know, and there's a bunch of like theological things like that. But the values and principles, you know, we love them as a people, and and you know they're like-minded. And we we just tell people out there we need to be in like-minded communities, and we need to shore up our defenses uh, and not allow the wickedness of the society to come in and manipulate us. So we need to stand firm the principles taught by Jesus Christ and the commandments that he taught and and teach the truth and stand firm on that truth, whether we lose our heads, which will happen eventually, or we're persecuted.
5: I totally, I, I totally agree. Um, so I've told all my friends, you know, who have moved out to big cities to return, um, Come back to you know small communities, uh, rural communities. You know, we you know I, I I have I have a garden. I hunt. I fish. We need to learn how to be self-sufficient. I totally agree yep. that you know, that Sodom Sodom is lost. Sodom is lost. Um, the best we can do is reach the people who will come with us without looking back and being turned to pillars of salt. That's the best yeah. thing we can do. Uh, and and, and yep. no matter if you know, it, and, and like you said, you go to a Pentecostal church, uh, you know, that that that's it, what what is sad, and here's truly what is sad in today's world. We go to a church, you know, it's very very conservative, but it's not even it's not even fundamental enough for me, like in, in my personal belief in how I run my household. Uh, but it's the closest yep. thing we can find. Value wise. So what I tell people when they say, "Oh, I can't find a church that has my 100% value," I say, "Hey, we're, we're living—we're living in Babylon. You won't find a church that's 100% with you. Find the people who you know have some similar values and want to you know serve God and just, you know and engage yourself in that community and do the work yourself. That's all you can do." Yep. So I'm I'm totally, I totally, totally
2: agree with you. And if people can't find churches that do hold God's principles and values and don't make excuses for sin, then uh, I would encourage people to start house churches. And then when you find people that are of like mind, you invite them to your house church and you have, you know, you talk and and you, you... you know, read the scriptures, and you talk about the scriptures, and you teach values in your home that you want your family to have. I mean, because there's so many churches out there that are, they don't care about the Word of God. They care about taking, like, you know, things that that people want to hear, not the hard things, you know, and the hard things can be taught right along with the, the other things as well, you know. And if we can't find those churches, oh, we need hey to make those churches.
5: Hey, man. Three or more dabbled in his name with love in their heart is better than any mega church with dollars in their eyes. Yeah. Yep.
2: Yep. Okay. Well, um, I am actually to the power plant. Uh, so I... Um, I don't know how to tell you to find me other than using social media, but if uh, you do have can an you, email can you address. See,
5: can, you, can, can you see my phone number, like, when I call in?
2: Uh, Yeah, Kim, go ahead oh, and God. record his phone number down. Write it down for me since I'm driving. So I have a tablet in my my truck, and I can glance at it and see that somebody's called in or see that somebody's chatting, but I I'm not going to, like, Unless I can stop, I won't just like mess around with it, you know, because uh, I'm driving.
5: So if you can see my if you can see my phone number, I'm giving you all permission to to keep it and and, and text message me. Uh, I, I, not correct. not not your wife. I don't I don't want your I, personally. I don't want your. Wife no, I'm to just text asking. Me, but if you could, I'm actually just asking yeah,
2: her to write it down so that I can have that information yeah. when I get home.
5: Yeah, and, Kim, and are you, if there? you could text me, I would.
2: Yeah, that would be fine. I can do that. Kim, are you there?
3: Yeah, um, I've been listening. I did a screenshot of it, so then you can, I can send you a text message with it.
2: Okay, great. Um, all right, well, um, I'm gonna put you back in the box, and then see if there's any other questions in the uh, the chat. Anyway, thank you for calling in, Jack. You're welcome to call any time. We usually do these programs 8 or 9 o'clock at night, Mountain Standard Time, Monday through Wednesday, and then sometimes we do it on Thursday and Friday as well. But That's a little more
5: hard to do. So, no, well, I've, anyway, i I've, I've, yeah, I've, I've, I've loved it. I've, I've, I've enjoyed it. Um, I think, you know, this is what needs to happen. You know, like I don't, I don't call it cross-face because we've had the same face. But this is what needs to happen, you know, with, with, with people who share our same values. And I would really like if you would, if you would text me, and if you can do that, yep. maybe then your wife and, and my wife on Facebook, and we could, you know, go from there.
2: Okay, good deal. All right, thank you for calling in. All right, um, Kim, what is the, uh, what's going on in the chat?
3: Um, nobody said anything after I commented, so.
2: It all refreshed. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> yep. okay, it looks like somebody did Why oh, are Oh, somebody just
3: asked why am I doing this?
2: this? Why do I do what? Uh, the program? I do the program because yeah. it's what God has asked me to do. It's um, each true doctrine. So So, for some reason, I can only see, I can't really see what people are saying. Oh, it just says joined and left the conversation.
3: Yep. That's okay. I'll still reply. It's
2: it's all one person. Yep. Oh. Francie uh, has grown up Mormon. Okay. So, let me just tell you real quick. I don't know if you're still in the church, Francie, but... um, The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints had, uh, you know, we believe in a restoration of true principles and doctrines, and uh, Joseph Smith thought about those things uh, because he was called of God to be a prophet, and the reason why I do this program is because I want people to understand what the, the teachings were as opposed to what the teachings are now, so there is a lot that has changed from the early days of the church to today. And so um, they've gotten rid of a bunch of things. Like, for instance, I don't know if you know this or not, but in the Book of Ether, Jesus Christ tells Mohanra and in the Book of Mormon um, that he has never appeared to anyone before that time. Now, that was around the time of the Tower of Babel. And before that, Jehovah had appeared to people before that. Well, around the 1880s, it began to be taught in the Church that Jesus Christ and Jehovah were the same person, but according to the theology as as expressed in the Book of Mormon, Jesus Christ had never appeared before the time of the Tower of Babel, and the first person he appeared to was Mohanrei Moriankar. So there's one great big old doctrine in the Church that changed where they start believing that Jesus Christ and Jehovah are the same person. So, and... You know, that's just one thing. Um, the church has done away with plural celestial marriage, which was a doctrine that was taught, uh, the law of adoption, which is a very important doctrine, uh, the fact that you can have rebaptism, uh, united orders. And this was a big one that I had. You know, we all covenant in the temple and the endowment to live the law of consecration, which is the foundation of the united order, which is where everyone takes care of each other you know, in United Orders, but the church has billions and billions of dollars in that one United Order because they're more concerned about teaching the smooth things that people want to hear other than the the, the meat of the gospel. And the whole reason for the restoration was so that Zion could be redeemed, so there would be a people prepared to be here when Jesus Christ returned that they would build the kingdom of God with two principles and values upon the face of the planet so that when God came down, when Jesus comes down, that we would have a place for him to return to. And as we give up the principles and doctrines and change the endowments and change all of the stuff, that we're actually in uh, apostasy and iniquity now, in the book of uh, in the Doctrine and Covenants, which is a uh, is modern scripture, uh, in section eighty five, Jesus actually gives Joseph Smith a revelation that God would have to send one mighty and strong to set the house of God in order, which implies that it will become out of order. Isaiah also saw this one mighty and strong in Isaiah chapter 28. And it is said that that one mighty and strong, who is a prophet of God, a witness of God, would come and teach they who are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. And that he would walk among the drunkards of Ephraim. And I asked God, what does it mean, the drunkards of Ephraim? And it means that they, these are Ephraim. This is Ephraim, but these people are drunk on the spirit of Babylon the Great. Instead of coming out of Babylon the Great, they've joined and become friends with with the world. And we know that in the New Testament it says to be friends with the world is to be in opposition or enmity with God. So, but this one mighty and strong will go among the drunkards of Ephraim, and he would teach them true doctrines. He would teach they who are uh, weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. Which means that they, these people were ready to hear the truth, and that is what I am doing right now. So, um, <laughs> uh, anyway, so I actually I have to go into this power plant. I'm here to load. Uh, we are on Monday through Wednesday from um, eight or nine. It just depends. Uh, you can follow this show just by pushing follow. Uh, and I'm, from a, I'm sure you're familiar with that because you're on Blog Talk Radio right now. And it'll send you a notification as to when we're going to do the programs. Also, people can follow me out there on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash L-A-C-U-R-U-S 1977. And I post uh, scriptures and teachings, uh, past radio programs, and the information for the new radio programs that we'll be doing. Uh, also, on one of my pages is uh, LDS, let me think, Zion's Redemption Radio Network, and then uh, if you have a, um, if you're interested in groups and having group discussions, uh, LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, or LDS Gospel Mysteries. So, uh me, why to change that hope exactly? I don't know what that means. Why to change that hope exactly? Well, we—I don't know what you're trying to ask. But if um, Tracy was hope, saying,
3: I love to believe in the fact that I will go to a happy place. Why change that hope exactly? Why are you trying to change her hope, his hope, um, that they believe they're going to go to a happy place? It's not about changing. Um, your, the good feelings about how you feel like you're going to be in a better place. It's actually about um, accumulating the truth of all things and understanding well, it at, at a higher level.
2: Yeah, we, we teach the truth of the gospel as it was restored by the prophet Joseph Smith, and we stick to scriptures. Um, but real quick, there's a principle found in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and it says all they who believe a lie receive strong delusion that they might be damned because they did not love the truth. When you believe false doctrines, when, when the church, when the, the gospel is taught a certain way and that's how it was restored and then we change the truth of the gospel, um, it's a lie, a false doctrine. And when we believe false doctrines, we are damned because we did not love the truth enough to go to God and find out what the truth was. So God wants us all to be prophets, and he wants us to to discern the truth. And I love Joseph Smith, too. Um, But the problem is the church, through the correlation department, has gotten rid of so much of the early restoration knowledge that was once taught in the church. And if we want to not believe the lies Of false doctrine We need to know what those things are But the church tries to cover it up And so that's one of the reasons I did this radio program Because I am going to hopefully Teach people to turn back to the first words To understand the truth Of the living gospel As it was restored by the prophet Joseph Smith So real quick I have to go But I'm just going to say this one thing Go to your Doctrine and Covenants and read section 124. In section 124, that revelation was given to Joseph Smith the prophet by Jesus Christ in January of 1841. In that revelation, Jesus Christ tells Joseph Smith to build a temple where the Most High, who is the Father, can come dwell therein, that he would come and restore that which is lost unto you or that which is taken away even the fullness of the priesthood. Jesus Christ tells them, if you do these things, he will bless the people. He will fight the battles for them. They will not be removed from their place. But this will be the beginning of revelations for Zion's redemption. There's a whole bunch of stuff that Jesus promised that he would do to bless them. But he told them that they were disobedient, that great cursings would come upon the people wrath and indignation, and he said that they would be rejected as a church with their death. We know because of history that God did not fight their battles for them. In Nabu they were not, they were not, or they? they were removed from their place. So when Jesus says, if you do these things, I will fight your battles for you, and you will not be removed from your place. But then he says, if you don't do these things, all of these bad things are going to happen. And then all of the bad things are, did happen. And Jesus says, uh, if you don't do what I say, I will reject the church with their dead. Well, I take Jesus at his word, and I believe that section 124 was given by Jesus Christ to the prophet Joseph Smith. So the church would have you believe that Brigham Young was the next in line and the church was never rejected. But Jesus said otherwise, and it's still in your scriptures. Go to section 124, start with 27 and read through about 55, somewhere in there, and you're going to read it. Study it closely, read it out. You're going to see that the church was rejected. Because the church was rejected, Jesus Christ actually did tell Joseph Smith that he would have to send one mighty and strong who was a prophet or a witness to set the house of God in order that, which implied it would become out of order. So when people in the church think that they're the only true and living church, I'm sorry that you think that I'm wrong, but you need to go read the scripture before you make a judgment. on it. Anyway, I'm done with the program for tonight. I'm sorry that she was not You know, and, and it's interesting, most people when they hear these things, that they don't want to accept the truth, that there is something wrong. They want to believe the narrative that they've been told, that there's nothing wrong with the church, everything is the way it's supposed to be, you know. And you can believe that all you want, but I'll go back to uh, Second Thessalonians chapter 2. All they who believe a lie receive strong delusion that they might be damned
5: because they did not love the truth.
2: And this person here... They won't even look at it before they go and read it. Uh, they say that I'm wrong. I'm not wrong. If you believe the line, you won't even go take a look to see if what I'm saying is true. And that is sad. You need to stop trusting in the arm of flesh and turn to God. He's the only one that can save you. And he's the only one that has the truth anyway. The complete, full truth. So, uh, Kim... It looks like we're coming to the end of the program anyway. So did you have anything to say
5: before we uh, end it for tonight? Nope.
2: Okay. Well, then I will uh, end the program for tonight. And then, like I said, so uh, we're not going to be doing a program on Thursday or Friday night. We'll probably be back on Monday. I might do a bonus program. Um, But probably the next live that we'll do will be Monday around 9 p.m. So thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Jack, for calling in. I hope to hear from you again. And uh, thank you for the people in the chat room for engaging me in questions and all about. So, all right, we'll we'll go to the uh, music. Thank you for listening,
5: everyone. Take care. God bless. and Goodbye.